Ah, no, 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 no. Hi everyone, I'm Roberta, Translastar Social Media Manager, and I'm here today with Laura Navas. Hi, Laura. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Hi, how are you? I hope you're well. I'm good, I'm good. How are you? And so Laura is a conference interpreter, and this is our first live interview. And we are going to explore uh, how to become a conference interpreter. And so if you have any questions, please write them in the chat or in the comment section. And um, if, I don't know, if you uh, are ready, Laura, we can start. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. So here's my first question for you, which is actually two questions. So when did you decide to become a conference interpreter and would you recommend your university? Okay, um, well, how did I start? This is a funny story because <laughs> it's not it's not that I've always wanted to be a conference interpreter. It's not that I've always known what a conference interpreter is or does because when I was in school, I had to like sort of in the last years of school before university, you have to pick some subjects. And I chose chemistry, biology, math. Uh, so it was kind of a 
last minute decision guided by destiny or the heart or whatever you want to call it. And I actually asked myself, what do I like? What am I good at? And I was like, okay, I love writing. So should I become a journalist? But I'm a very curious person. I'm not sure, but I love languages ever since I was a little kid. I loved hearing people speaking different languages. I went to the library with my dad and I always asked him to uh, take some like English books for me and read them out loud to me. And uh, so I decided to study translation and interpreting. And uh, then I was like, okay, let's give it a go. If I don't like it, maybe I can do another thing. And I started translation and interpreting a four-year degree. And I didn't get the chance to do much interpreting because I was abroad, but I took some subjects and I was kind of interested and I decided to take the exam uh, to apply for a master's degree in conference interpreting. And I did, yeah, a two-year master's degree. And what was the second question? Would I recommend my university? Of course, this is a yes. (laughs) I did my master's degree in Universidad Autónoma de Barcelona. And it was a very, very good experience. I I think that... um, Mm, yeah, I I learned everything I know is because of that. Of course, afterwards, experience gives you everything. But uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend my master's degree. Also, master's degree in conference interpreting are very tough. You need to be ready and uh, love yourself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so after that, um, how did you get into the market and what services do you offer now? So um, I graduated in pandemic, so I didn't start working in conference interpreting that many years ago. And um, yeah, everyone was like, there's no there's no work in conference interpreting. You just have to do another thing. Just have to find yourself translations or whatever and so everything was very uncertain because of covid and i decided to go to the north of italy and i started working in a in an agency so i was doing translations project management but suddenly i received a call from one of my former teachers and he told me, well, this, there's um, this assignment and I don't know if you'd be interested. And I was like, of course, I'd be super interested. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I thought that was like a sign from the universe. Like, okay, just stop. Don't leave this, this job in the agency. You just have to become a freelance. Just you'll manage. You'll find your own clients. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I did this first assignment and then I became a freelance and work started, uh, popping up. And what was the second question? Sorry. Uh, what services do you offer now? Yeah. Um, I offer like inter conference interpreting has consecutive and simultaneous and it has bilateral too. So I offer those, those three and I do translations, but mainly, mainly interpreting. And I have a project called the Interpreting Boutique. And we also offer like uh, event organization and everything that has to do with a big multilingual event. We're there to provide all services for that. So um, back to your first assignment, um, what was it about and where was it? 
So I was still working in the agency in Italy and I had the chance to do this, this one-time job because uh, it was remote because with the pandemic, of course, everything um, was remote events um, were transformed in, they were in a whole different dimension and uh, that allowed me to to be able to to take the assignment so it was remotely it was for the government of Catalonia and it was an arts and crafts event it was very nice it wasn't it was not an event that I had to prepare a lot because it, it was just um, a conference in which people chit-chatted about um, I do, I do this, I'm doing bracelets, I'm doing, um, I don't know, I, I'm painting. So I had to be there like chit chatting and I was with my teacher. So it was very nice because I, I felt confident having, uh, my teacher with me and it was, it was nice. So fast forward to today or more or less last week, I heard that you interpreted for the King of Spain. Could you tell us more about it? Well, yeah, I I got hired for that, like for this Congress, and I didn't actually know that the king was going to be there. I found out afterwards. So it was not it was not someone telling me, okay, you're going to be interpreting for the king. Do you take the job or not? Was more of um, okay, um, there's this congress about journalism. Do you wanna come? Okay, yes. And uh, then I found out that the king was there. But at the end, he's just one more, one speaker more. Um, he's not, he's not a fast speaker. I'm mostly worried about fast speakers. I'm not worried about the fact that they're famous or they're not famous. Of course, it's an honor to be interpreting someone that so many people are listening to. But um, it's it's not about how famous the, the person is. Of course, you have this responsibility because lots of people are hearing what you have to say. Uh, journalists are writing, people are putting the headphones on and they rely on you giving conveying the message. But at the end, yeah, it's, it's it was a very nice experience, of course. But uh, yeah, one more speaker among others. <laughs> and um, so... Uh, nowadays, do you mostly work with agencies or direct clients? And how did you find your first clients? Okay, so um, I I work with agencies and I work with direct clients, and I try to be sort of an agency myself. I'm I'm not an agency, of course, but at the end, when you start um, like having your own clients you cannot manage all the work that you have so you have to send people to work for you so you kind of work as an agency because you have to provide a good service a quality service for for the client uh so i am i am a, a client myself i'm a i'm a service provider i am a job seeker <laughs> i'm everything, everything all in one yeah. yes <laughs> that's it uh, so um, my first client, well, my first client was the my, my teacher, as I was saying before, that called me for this assignment. But after that, um, I started a bit with like colleagues, basically, because when you start out in the market, you are the last person that arrived there. So if you start building yourself a network, you kind of... Um, 
account and colleagues to give you work sometime. And of course, this is a this is a win-win situation because you're going to be able maybe one day to give them work back. And my first clients, I think, were were those like contacts. I mean, one one person wants. Um, I know from university is doing a webinar and uh, you can do um, um, a nonprofit um, assignment. So you start doing pro bonos sometimes and you start knowing people. But afterwards, it's all about knocking in every door you can knock, like agencies, sending emails, um, being getting inspired by the people in LinkedIn, maybe sending messages to, to those people that you see that are in the market and working, actively working. You can ask them for advice. Um, yeah, basically, that's it. <laughs> so it's networking for you. Your, your key to success more or less is networking i think so i think it's it's yeah it's if whether you like it or not this is uh, a <laughs> the conference in conference interpreting it all it's all about um networking 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 yeah that's it and um on the technical side are there any specific tools or programs that you use on a regular basis that you would recommend well, when I'm working with direct clients, what I suggest them is to use Zoom for for the meetings. And so I think it's important while being a conference interpreter, if you want to have your own clients to have a Zoom business, because this allows you to have all the features for, for the booth arrangements. And um, yeah, I think that's really important. On the other hand, of course, if you're doing remote interpreting, you need a good quality headset. Uh, you need um, an Ethernet cable, those sort of things, a good microphone, good headset. And um, yeah, that's basically what I use. And what about um, CPD? Um, which courses or you know, events, conferences do you recommend? Um, so if you want to improve in your career, of course, you need to understand very well what you want to improve in. So I would recommend, for example, WISE Interpreting Workshops, which is when you're an interpreter, you always need to keep on practicing and practicing. And there is this um, workshop that is organized by 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 two to two friends of mine and it's in Valencia and it's it's a very good way to keep on practicing practicing your retour which is interpreting into your non-native language and you get feedback from people that are native so I think that's very very interesting to to give each other feedback in those type of workshops if you want to work on on your language of course if you want to become an expert in how to build good glossaries of course you you have to choose another uh, workshop and there are also some free practice uh, tools um, which are not courses exactly not workshops but that are very interesting practice groups or speech repository which is uh, um, a speech repository basically from <laughs> the from the European Commission 
So you have speeches in lots of languages, like English, French, Mandarin, whatever. And you just uh, put your headsets on and you start interpreting. So that's very, very good practice. I, I still use it, even though I'm a conference interpreter. I still have a lot to learn and I, and I keep using that. So uh, just a question that popped up in my mind. Um, so do you, when you're not working, do you, you, are you used to train every day, more or less? Yeah, in some sense, like an interpreter needs to keep the, um, the different languages you work with active all the time, all the time. So this means that you have to wake up in the morning and maybe listen to the news in different languages like podcast or so whatever. Uh, like if you're working with French and Italian and English, well, you have to listen every day to French, Italian, uh, English. And uh, yeah, keep on training. It's it's very nice. If you're not getting a lot of French assignments, for example, how do you how do you keep learning? How do you maintain your your skills? Well, you have to do it by by practicing, by listening to to a lot of podcasts. And yeah, I do that. I do that. Um, I'll just answer to one question that we've got, and then I'll move on to other questions. Yeah. So Eliana is writing, I would love to send me the conference if you register it. So I'm just saying to everyone that this is registered and it, we will publish, publish it on our platform. So no problem. And we got another question from Yeter that uh, said, do you recommend master in translation and interpreting? So I know that you've already answered it more or less and you recommended your um, university, which is uh, in Barcelona, I think. And I don't know if you can recommend other masters or uh, universities that, that you know. Yeah, so like there are not many... Uh, master degrees in conference interpreting like for example in Spain I wouldn't like to be mistaken but I can think about like four or five maybe <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure um, but the thing is that they are very very hard <laughs> they are very hard you so need to work a lot it's hard to get in yeah it, it depends but you you need to take a test in order to get in in which they are going to they don't test if you are a good conference interpreter of course but they test if your skills can be you know trained in order to become a conference interpreter so um yeah they They are, they are very tough and uh, I recommend them 100% if you want to be a conference interpreter. For me, it's compulsory. You do a master degree in conference interpreting because as I said before, I was doing my degree, my four-year uh, degree. In, in Spain, it's four years. Um, in other places, it's less years or more years. But here is four years, the, the normal degree when you get out of school and you go to university. And um, I, I barely touched um, conference interpreting. I, was, I had one or two subjects. And then everything I learned uh, was during my master's degree. And it's so hard that we start interpreting from Spanish to Spanish. And people find this very weird. But in order to master the, the technique, you need to start working from Spanish to Spanish, which is very odd. But this is just so that you understand uh, how difficult it is to, 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 to start a, a master's degree in conference interpreter. You have to 
be very committed. And um, what is the best advice that you would give to someone who wants to be a conference interpreter? You said networking. Yeah. Maybe you can expand on that or maybe you have, yeah. uh, I don't know, advice. But before the networking, I think the networking is something that comes afterwards, sort of. Uh, if you really want to become a conference interpreter, of course, you need to work a lot on your languages. Of course, that's the first thing. You need to be passionate about languages. You need to 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 have this, this commitment to kind of get married to to conference interpreting i know it sounds it sounds a bit weird or strange but in some way you are kind of married because you're you're very committed and as i said before you have to uh be up to date you have to keep reading the news all the time because you never know what what is going what they're going to talk about in a conference uh so yeah like the first advice i would give is it is very difficult to become a conference interpreter. It takes a lot of training, but it is very rewarding. <laughs> so the first advice I would give is if you like it, if you feel this is something in your stomach that you really want to do it, just go for it because it is very rewarding. You have a lot of fun. It's a very dynamic job. So yeah, just go for it. And the second advice I would give you is do not compare yourself to no one because in conference interpreter interpreting we tend to like post on linkedin a lot <laughs> and it's sometimes hard to to go on linkedin and start to see oh yeah this one interpreted for it for the king this one interpreted for bill gates this one in and you're like okay i'm here sitting in my chair in my couch whatever how do i start it's very easy to compare yourself but um you you just Keep going, keep going, because you if you are passionate about it, you'll, you'll find a way. So we just got a, a question from Hamed who says, uh, what are the techniques that you usually use for handling situa situations where, uh, where you do interpretation and encounter some words you do not know how to interpret? That's a classic. That's a classic. Yeah, that's a classic. I, I wish I could know how to answer this myself, but I still <laughs> struggle. Um, so, okay, what are the techniques I usually use? Where, okay, so first of all, when we're doing, let's talk about simultaneous interpreting. Like for those of you who are not familiar, it's like you put on the headsets, uh, the microphone and everything that comes in your ear in one language, you convey the message in another language in the microphone. So If you're doing that, it's real-time translation. So as Ahmed was saying, it is indeed very, very stressful. And the good thing, the good thing is that you always work with a boothmate. So it is so exhausting. It is so tiring that you always have someone near you. And if it's remote, you have it, you have him or her through the screen, but um, he's able to look up for, uh, look, look up for, for different words that you might not know. And you're struggling. Maybe you're doing the interpretation and you're like, blah, 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 and then you stop and the, like your colleague 
somehow knows that you're struggling. And so he quickly, if he knows the word, he's writing it, uh, writing the word for you uh, straight ahead. And if he doesn't, he's looking it up for you and you can look it up yourself. And sometimes what we're doing in interpretation, like in simultaneous, is you don't say the word directly if you don't know it and the, the, the colleague doesn't know it. And you sort of mm, keep keep going. I don't know. I don't exactly know how, but you keep going and then you kind of rescue that information and you put it, even if it's in a different order. It's very difficult, of course, because the speech keeps going and keeps going and you you haven't said that word yet, but you kind of somehow manage to, to put the word in, squeeze it in. And um, speaking of not simultaneous, but consecutive, um, yes. you host a webinar with Translastars in a few days on note-taking. And um, can you explain why note-taking is so um, crucial for uh, interpreters? So, yeah, I'll be hosting this um, this consecutive note-taking and consecutive webinar, and I'm very excited about it. And it is important, basically, because when you start doing conference interpreting, when you start training, um, you start with note-taking in consecutive i was saying before that you that we usually do spanish to spanish if you're if you're a native in spanish of course if you're an english native you'll do english to english and so the thing is that um, it it kind of uh, helps you to work on your memory a lot and as i said in the in the description in the webinar description it is very difficult to hear his speech if not impossible to hear his speech and write every single word that the that the speaker is saying you need to develop a, a technique in which you're going to to have to work on your memory of course but the notes are going to be a crucial tool to to help you convey the message in, in a in a beautiful way, in an accurate way. And I, I think it's very good training all in all to start simultaneous. I wouldn't advise anyone to um, start simultaneous interpreting if they have not done consecutive. It's, it certainly uh, helps you a lot with your training in general. And it's beautiful and it's very creative. And <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> can I say? I see that you're very excited, so I'm very excited too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. So if there are some more questions, this is the time to write them. Um, otherwise, we are going to see uh, Laura next week with the webinar. And we still have some places, so you can just um, enroll and join us next week on the uh, 19th of October. And um, I see that there are more questions, I think. So I'll just thank you, Laura. Uh, you've been such a nice guest to interview and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much, Roberta. See mm -hmm. you in the webinar. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.